sermon. We're getting there. <laughs> um, birth, I mean, we've talked about a lot of this. Birth, trauma, death, life, relationships, family, right? Uh, work, sickness, all this stuff, right? Things that we have little, little control over that vie for our attention and oftentimes threaten what, to destroy what peace we might have in life, right? Um, stress multiplies. Can I get this thing to work? Stress multiplies. Uh, trauma settles in like a bad guest that never leaves, right? Uh, responsibilities only increase in life. By the way, all you college students, it just goes up, right? And if you're at all trying to walk with Jesus and grow closer to him and, and be about his mission in this life, you can expect spiritual attack on that as well. It just piles on you, right? Not to be all whatever, because, you know, in some weeks it just seems so defeating, doesn't it? I mean, we just listed a few people that have been some, through some very hard things. When it rains, it pours, doesn't it? It's, it gets bad. I've had seasons where I just feel like there's a target on my back that no, nobody can really, you know, save me from any, anything. But here's the truth. It always breaks. It always breaks right? You come through, you see the sunshine. You always see the blessings and the mercies of of God all around you. At the end of it, there is always a sweetness to the bitterness. Turn with me to page 725 in your church Bibles to John chapter 3. Page 725, John chapter 3, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus about birth and life and love and grace and what it takes to grasp it all. And uh, we're going to be reading throughout this passage today. So keep your Bible open there on your lap and you can follow along as we read. But today we see Jesus. We're we're, we're talking about all these portraits of Jesus through the book of John. And today we see this portrait painted of Jesus as teacher of teachers, right? So verse one, it says there was now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God or no one For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus, we'll understand, was a powerful man representing the sort of elite of Judaism, right? A teacher, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, you know, the Jewish ruling council of the day, excuse me. And uh, he's an important guy that Jesus is speaking with in this nighttime sort of clandestine intimate meeting. And Possibly Nicodemus, you know, went at night in order to, to address his personal struggles about Jesus, right? Knowing that if, if he's seen speaking to him during the daytime out in the open, it would have caused too much commotion, uh, and he wouldn't have been able to get his questions answered. We don't know, really, but, but if, if that's the case, it's a wise move, right? It is a wise move. Possibly he wanted to be able to defend his growing convictions of this enigmatic Jesus, you know, out of true conviction since Nicodemus held sway over so many people. And so it's pretty important. You know, he had to settle his own thoughts on exactly who Jesus was before answering to others. That's a possibility. Uh, and and I'll, I'll be honest, you can't help but to like the guy. I like him, right? Uh, he's a thoughtful guy. He's re- he recognizes Jesus' uniqueness when he says, you know, no, we can do these things except for God being with them. You know, in other words, he sees something special about Jesus right off the bat. He really does. And in verses 3 and 4, he comes right out of the chute, right? He just comes right out of it, you know, uh, sort of 
he seems to be reading Nicodemus's mind. And he doesn't ask what Nicodemus wants necessarily, but he launches straight into the matter with him. And maybe Nicodemus didn't even understand what he needed from Jesus at that point, but Jesus seems to define and, and set the tone of the conversation right off. He, he's, he's directive with this guy. And in verse 3, he says, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's a good question. I remember when I was a little kid and I read these things or I heard these things spoken to me. I I had that, like, crawl back into my mom's belly. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? I had those sense. We can't blame Nicodemus hearing this for the first time, struggling to understand where Jesus is leading him and talking about what he's talking about. On the one hand, the conversation is very simplistic. But on the other hand, it is lofty, it is confusing, it's abstract, it it doesn't make sense. You must be born again. What does that really mean? That's my son texting me from the back of the room, by the way. I'm turning off my thing. What does that mean? You know, notice Nicodemus is one of the most well-educated Jewish men with, and, and with education, with status, with power, often comes impenetrable pride. And he could have come at Jesus from that kind of a stance. But instead, his questions are childlike and inquisitive. He really wants to know. That's his great attribute. He really wants to know. That's humility, right? There's no such thing as a stupid question unless that question is leading, right? That's true. Smart people don't hold on to their status, their learning, but they they know that they have more to learn. There's a humility about them. And once we lose the ability to sincerely question, and I am emphasizing that word sincerely because many people are not questioning sincerely these days, but sincerely question to seek deeper truth and all that stuff, we've stepped into the quicksand of pride, which is very hard to free ourselves from. We remember in past few weeks, we've said we don't want to become the new Gnostic, right? The new Gnostic that is simply questioning the scriptures ad nauseum, seeking some special new revelation, some new knowledge that nobody else has found out before, even though we've all been reading it for thousands and thousands of years. Plenty of great people have gone before us, right? Rather, we want to be the person who comes to Jesus listening sincerely leading to obedience. In other words, we take his answers on faith and trust. Nicodemus is a guy that is outfitted in the garb of religion, right? He, if you met this guy on the street, you would say, wow, he knows God. You know, looks like a duck, acts like a duck, quacks like a duck, must be a duck. But Jesus says politely to him, you don't yet know because it's not about you. It's not up to you. You don't know because it's not up to you. In Indonesia, I did all I can, I could to blend in. I learned the language, 
the intonation, the accent, the food. And when I got sick, I used the local remedies short of the witch doctor. Sorry about the slide. It is nasty, I know. But that is my back. (laughs) This was called cupping. They would take this little hammer with a needle in it and hammer a few spots on your back. Then they would heat up a cup and stick it over your back and suck all the, the bad things out of you. The guy said to me, actually, after he said, oh, your blood's really thick. You eat a lot of McDonald's, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm American. That's what we do, right? And um. But that's what I did. I tried everything to fit in. I, I did, I did, I, short of going to the witch doctor, I didn't go to him. But, uh, but no matter what I did, I could not hide my lineage, right? I was not born to Indonesian parents. I was an American. I, I wasn't a native speaker. I still had an accent. I still didn't know a word here and there and all that kind of stuff. The same is true for our spiritual life. We could go to church our whole lives. We could dress in religious garb. We could carry around our Bible. We could do churchy things. But nothing can hide our lineage until we are reborn by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, right? We were born, the truth of the matter of our condition is that we were born into sin with Satan as our father. John Wesley's a great example of this. If you've ever read his story. It wasn't until after, after he went to seminary, after he became a missionary overseas, right, actually here in America, and and then he, you know, he did a lot in the name of God and all that kind of stuff, and then, you know, it wasn't until after all that that he was confronted on the ship back to England, and then at a meeting in, in, I think it was Aldersgate Aldersgate Street in England, um, that he heard the gospel, and that is when he gave his life to Christ. Such an interesting story because John thought he was a Christian until the spirit actually breathed life into his heart. And he described that incident as having his heart strangely warmed. I remember that feeling when I first came to Christ. Those guys on the road, remember the two guys on the road uh, that met Christ and talked to him, they felt that. Only God can kill off our sinful lineage and adopt us as his children into his family, giving us a new heart and clothing us fully in Christ, right? That's the good news. In Jesus, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We've been recreated. And it's when the Spirit blows in our heart that that actually happens. In church life, we grow up hearing Christian-y things over and over and over again. You've probably heard this passage spoken on over and over and over again. We learn a great deal, and we think that we know. We are educated people, especially in this area, right? Many With many responsibilities, and we're tempted to think that we know it all, and we have nothing more to learn. But the Holy Spirit won't be corralled so easily, will he? Reach out your hand and try to catch the wind. That's like the spiritual life. Go and try to witness to somebody and just logically get them through the door of the gospel and you'll figure out how quickly that works. The elusive nature of 
the spirit life draws us in as it did to Nicodemus. And he couldn't control it, right? And for those who like control, that drives you a little bit crazy. Conversely, most of us are immersed in this new Gnosticism that I've mentioned that we think that there must be some special hidden knowledge out there beyond the traditional stance of the church. we got to find some new meaning behind all this, blah, blah, blah. And in our pride, we start to reinterpret the word, reading through it, uh, reading it through our own lenses, our own personal lenses, denying counsel of witness throughout the ages, denying all the voices of the people throughout the ages. I said to somebody last week, I said, you ever notice older Christians that are walking with Jesus well? When you say, wow, I read this and I, I found this in the scriptures, they're like, yeah, because they've already been there. Scripture's written on a third grade level. God's not hiding anything from us. And as we see Jesus say to Nicodemus, he's saying, I'm being very clear with you. Just listen to me. Just take my words. Jews expected this military overtaking on behalf of Israel, right? When the, when, when the Messiah sh- showed up, they expected something very different. Not a child born in a manger who's you know, leading through, through grace and love. They sought to reach God by measuring up to the law. They did not realize that the law was there to make them aware of their sinful sort of deadness and their, and their, their spiritual need before God. They didn't expect the Messiah to come you know, for the whole world, but only for them, despite all that was written in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures to the contrary. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's very clear. They didn't expect the Messiah to say, you know, my followers don't fight with the sword, but they they live by loving sacrifice. They didn't expect that. And the early church had to learn these things over and over again, that the gospel was for all people, and our model is a sacrificial servant named Jesus. Verses 5 through 15. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the spirit, water meaning a physical birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, referring to himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Every once in a while I get this aha moment where I'm like, wow, this is crazy, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? Some people took me out to South. It's a jazz club down in the city last night for my birthday, which is tomorrow. So checks can be sent to Jason Gwines. I'm just kidding. 
But it was great. And I had this aha moment sitting there that God walked on earth with us. That is a nutty concept that I could be sitting next to Jesus watching a jazz concert. Because I was listening to this one. This is a total side note. Sorry, uh, back there, slide person. But I was sitting there listening to this, this woman's voice. She's beautiful. Uh, Surreal Amy, if you ever want to go look her up. Just beautiful voice, jazz voice. She's known for improvisation. She like goes off and everything. And I just thinking, isn't God glorified by that? Isn't that so nice? And I, you know, Jesus, if he was he was sitting next to me, he'd be like, I created that. You know, I did that. What's that sound? I know Vinny's like, what's that? My sound system's going nuts. But. But isn't it the crux of the matter for us, right? That, that you don't receive, what he says to Nicodemus here, you don't receive our testimony because you think you know more. You won't just accept it. You think there's something only you can understand. How prideful is that? Jesus is master teacher, right? He's not harsh with Nicodemus at all, but he is uncompromising in truth. A teacher of teachers, gently leading Nicodemus down the path of learning, right? But learning, at some point, arrests and assaults our thinking. All those things that we've held on to so dearly, all those concepts that we think we know our whole lives. On one hand, Jesus appeals to his intellect, and he says that he should see these things in his studies of the Scriptures. That's, that's what he does, right? The Old Testament points to this as a, as a leader and a teacher. If anybody should know, you should know this, Nicodemus. You should get it. And what stops us in our tracks is our inability to make this gospel thing, this relationship with God, just an intellectual, you know, process of understanding it's not that to make this spiritual rebirth happen ourselves right by figuring it out logically there's no logic well there is logic but there's it's not just logical our pride wants to say i figured it out i got myself there right And what's always humbled us and Nicodemus as well is that God will not be manipulated by my intellect. He won't. Praise God that you won't. I can't get myself there. I'm not in control of the process. I must surrender. I must surrender to him. Salvation on one hand can be outlined in a very logical manner. We can name people. I, you, can, you can listen to people on the news or whatever that, that do un, intellectually understand the gospel, but they don't grasp it with their heart. You can tell. They don't believe it because the Holy Spirit hasn't blown through them. Why? I don't know. It's not up to me. That is a work of God. Our intellect, you know, although a part of the process can't get us all the way there, at some point we have to stop and we have to say, I give up control. Jesus, I hear the message, but it's up to you to pierce my heart with it. Salvation is taken in by both intellect and heart, spirit 
and truth. We can look back to Ezekiel chapter 37 in the, in the valley of dry dead bones, realizing that this is of what Jesus speaks right here, right? That the breath of God blew across those dead bones and they began to rattle and raise up and sinew and muscle came upon them and, and they raised them to life. It's an image of salvation, of spiritual salvation. God breathes new life into our spiritually dead bones, fashioning us into a new creation. And we have little to do but to respond to his leading. Little. Verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world, very familiar verse, and it's on our bookmark if you want to take it home and start memorizing scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen to that, right? For God did not send his son. Now, amen to this one too. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. These are big things. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, it says, verse 18. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do I understand all that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I do understand it better than maybe the next guy. I might be the only Bible that somebody's reading. There's, we get ourselves tied in knots. We want to figure it all out. What's free will? What's this? What, who cares? Just respond. Just respond. So what's he teaching this teacher of teachers? I think he's saying, search me. Search the scriptures. And, you're, and, and you'll find that your pride and your education and, and your status and your power and all that stuff, your position, aren't enough to see the kingdom of God. Simply in the sense that salvation is at some level, some strange, weird level that I can't really grab hold of is a work of the Spirit. I don't fully get it. And he images this by referring back to that situation in Numbers where poisonous snakes were sent to, to bite the Israelites for their grumbling. And when, when they were bitten, they were dying, right? Yet God provided the only remedy for this for that situation Moses was to fashion this serpent of bronze and put it on a high pole and raise it up and anyone bitten was instructed to look up to that visage and they were to be saved they were to live and Jesus is using that as a foreshadow to his own atoning sacrifice Jesus became sin for us condemned and raised up on the cross The serpent being that symbol of the poison which gets into our souls and kills us spiritually as a a people. You have no control over your predicament. It's by grace you have been saved through faith and nothing else. Sin entered the world and spiritual death occurred for all of humanity. That is what Scripture teaches. Cut off 
from the relationship with God, poisoned by sin, spiritually dead, and dead people have very little control over their situation. And there's only one cure in the whole world for our predicament anywhere across the board. There is only one cure. Remember, we said a couple of weeks ago, God doesn't have multiple personalities. He's only come as the person of Jesus Christ into this world to show us this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he claims. You got to wrestle with that. I have to wrestle with that. And we have to come to conclusions on it. And what I'm saying to you today is accept it. Just accept it. Don't argue it. If you feel it, if you sense it, if you get it at all, accept it. I'm really going off whatever here. But there is only one cure. To look up to Jesus on that cross only by his substitutionary death are we saved. Only by that. And as the Israelites looked up to be saved from the poison of the snake, we look up to Jesus and we are saved from the poison of our sin. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that. Nicodemus was able, in some strange way, to lay aside all his credentials, like Paul, if you remember, to count everything as a loss compared to looking up to Jesus as his savior of his own dead soul. Through physical birth, the water birth, right? We come into the world, born into the state of spiritual deadness due to the first Adam. But through Jesus, the second Adam, we are reborn into spiritual life. The Sanhedrin had 70 members responsible for religious decisions and answerable to Rome for civic rule of the Jews, like the Jews around them. And Nicodemus was one of these guys. He, he later rebuked the Pharisees for condemning Jesus without hearing him. You know, he helped Joseph of, of Arimathea bury Jesus after the crucifixion. So it seems that Jesus taught him well, that the Spirit did blow through his heart, and that Nicodemus was able to lay everything at the feet of Christ, looking up to him on that cross as the only access to spiritual life and reconciliation with God at all. And many people right now, view church with a crooked eye as if it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. We come at things distrustfully. They they think it's a place of, of judgment and harsh morality. But when you read the scriptures, it says right here, it's only a message of hope and salvation. That's what it is. Life, it's about life, not condemnation. Jesus didn't condemn or drive away prostitutes or the sick or the needy or tax collectors, you know, or anyone with a sincere desire to know him. Sincere desire to know him. His words were only harsh to those prideful religious zealots. You know, the, the, the learned people, right? The, the guys who cared not for nothing else but their, for their position and their power. Who were trying to ask him questions in a leading way to trap him. My daughter, Sana, was hit by a car once while my wife and my oldest daughter, Maddie, watched. <laughs> and... Uh, I almost killed people driving down Haverford Avenue to get to the hospital in time. And when Kim and I were driving home from the hospital, 
with Sana in the back seat and Maddie in the back seat, I asked Kim what she saw and felt, and this is what she said. She said, I saw it coming, but I couldn't do anything about it. I screamed, but I knew it was out of my control. Ugh. The car hit her. She flew through the air, and she hit the ground, and I thought, my little girl's dead. But then she got up, and she ran to me. And I was so elated to see her move that I I know other mothers have witnessed the same and their children haven't gotten up. And I didn't know how I could bear it. And I felt the same driving to the ER, honking my horn, running red lights and everything else. How could I bear it if my little Sana was gone? I I had to push it out of my mind. I I couldn't even bear the thought of that. But God chose to give up his son willingly. Willingly. He gave up his son for your sake. It's a big deal. God equally can't bear to lose his children. I think he has the same emotional attachment to all of us, right? But he comes into this world sacrificing himself to extract the poison which kills us, raising us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. Don't you want to tell somebody that? Jesus speaks of the process by which we are saved, a work of God's Spirit in our hearts through the the hearing of the living Word, right? Although this doesn't say it here directly, I, I think we can safely take the leap to extrapolate from this to mean, and also from other passages to mean that we can look up to Jesus not only to, to revive our dead souls or have them revived, I should say, but also in everyday things of life that are beyond our control. 2019 was a stressful year for me. Gained 30 pounds. Got to get rid of that, baby. But the Lord is doing something. The Lord is doing something. Even in trouble, I am never overcome. Never. I still walk in hope. I still always walk in hope. He's protected me. He's protected my family. His hand in it all. I have little control over much in my life. Sometimes pastoring church feels like herding cats. You guys can be difficult sometimes. God bless you. I can be difficult too. I fully expect spiritual attack and ministry, and it comes in full force at times. Sana could have died that day, but God intervened to save her. I believe that, right? My other daughter, when she was really little, Maddie, when when she was young, there was a guy um, stalking her in a car, and God miraculously put two college women right there that saw it happening, and they, they whisked Maddie into a house and protected her. That was pretty cool. Crazy stuff, right? Things which could have destroyed my family, all taken care of. All taken care of. Throughout life, my family's looked up to Jesus in prayer and relying on him, and he walks with us through the fires of adversity. There is adversity, but Christ is with me in it. In the tougher times of ministry, right, instead of destruction, people are often brought nearer to each other. 
closer to each other. Instead of Satan rejoicing in death, we are taught deeper lessons in the value of life and the value of relationships and the value of community. And despite all the intensity that is going on in America, which we're experiencing and we will experience throughout this election process and all that kind of stuff right now, God, I just want to say it really clearly, God is still doing something. He is. He's not stopped working. It's not hopeless. See, many of you, and I listed them in the beginning of the sermon, many of you are experiencing things which seem to poison your soul that you can't live under, you think. Maybe you're jobless, seeing no hope. Maybe you're under the weight of work or family stress or past experience which seem to kill your spirit. Some of you feel powerless to be able to help another Uh, close to you, struggling with sickness or joblessness or other issues. Let me say it clearly. Jesus is at work, even if you can't see it. We are a responsible people. You guys are responsible people. We do what we can. We act when we need to. It's not like we sit around passively waiting just for God to move, you know? That's not, that's not what we're saying. But we must realize our limits of control, right? Our intellect, our money, our education, our resources will fail us. But the Spirit of God is here. He is here. And life sometimes forces us, you know, to look up to Jesus and allow him to stick that needle of salvation into our hearts and extract the poison which seems to be robbing us of life. Some of you might be seeing the cross raised up before you for the very first time in your life. You may have even thought that you knew Jesus, right? Because you've done all the right things. You, maybe you've been in part of an, uh, in another religious, you know, uh, setting where, where you're just told to do all the right things and you'll, you'll be saved, right? You'll, you work yourself there. Jesus said it's not about doing all the right things. It's about him. It's about his movement in your heart. You may be hearing the message and being washed by the living word right now. Right now. That could be happening. That miracle could be happening right now. Look up to Jesus and say, I give up my control. I just give it up. Do for me what I can't do for myself. Save me. Save me. And by the way, rockets won't go off. Nobody's going to start screaming unless you tell us. Then we're going to start screaming. But it, it has happened. That's the promise of Scripture. But for others of you who have known him for more than a minute, right? You may be educated. You may know a lot. You may be coming to the end of your rope in life, though. And you need to open your heart to new, ongoing, deepening lessons of how he cares for you, how he protects you, how he loves you. To see that again. Truths which are clearly before you and have been, but you may have ignored because you think you know. Or in your pride, you're digging through the Scriptures looking for answers that only you can understand. It's right there. I always remember my friend's wedding, or funeral, sorry, very different thing, 
in uh, Lampung. He died in a quarry accident. He was buried by rocks. We had to dig him out and stick him in my car and take him home. In the back seat, he was already had passed away. And we were burying him, and it was out there with all these Muslims. I was the only Christian standing out there. And uh, there was one young man with a T-shirt. I'll never forget, I'll never forget this. And it, on, on the back of his T-shirt, I'm, I'm watching this happen. I really wish I had a camera. But it said in Lampungese, Rumpu, and then in English, save my soul. Rumpu means I'm tired and I'm worn out. I'm at the end of my rope. That's what it means. Great word. Rumpu, right? Yeah, you want to go out tonight? Oh, rumpu. Right? It's, it's, just, it's just like, ugh. Save my soul in English, right? What an image. When we remember all those in the world who need to have this same conversation with Jesus as Nicodemus did. Wish I had that camera that day to have that image for you. Look up, not down, at circumstances. Look up to the one who's really in control. Not down at the things that you can't. Nicodemus learned this well, and we can too. I've wasted way too many moments, time, whatever you want to say in life, looking down, distraught over circumstances. I've wasted too much time doing that. I'm tired of it. I've learned, like we said last week, to see that the cross can grow ever bigger as my situations grow heavier. I have to look up over and over and over again at Jesus, not only for salvation, but for ever-present help in a world of trouble, because this is a difficult world at times. We are in a spiritual battle. That's okay. We're in a spiritual battle, and Jesus is in the furnace right there with us, walking through it, deflecting the things which would otherwise have destroyed us, and he's bringing depth, and he's bringing life to your heart, even when it doesn't seem like he is. He will heal and even use your wounds for his glory and your betterment. I've had numerous conversations with some of you this week that as a result of last week's sermon where you experienced a small amount of pain in choosing to be obedient to Jesus, you saved yourself a world of pain later on. Amen to your obedience. God bless you for taking those steps. That's good decision making. So I want to leave you with Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, that's what you are to me, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's better to think about than uh, you know, all that is Jesus. When you're down, when you're depressed, when you're stressed, when you're overtaken, look up to Jesus. And if Jesus is calling you right now to look up to him for the very first time in your life, I would, I would give you the advice not to hesitate in that. I hesitated when I was young and I wish I had done it, right? Be reborn right now. It is a possibility in your life. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Let him extract the poison which has brought you death and shame and he, let him leave you not only with eternal life, but life abundant right now. My life is better because of Jesus. And all it takes is a simple prayer. Jesus, 
I realize I need you. I repent of my sin. And I want to be adopted into your family right now. And you can mark today. What is it? The 23rd. February 23rd. The day before Jason's birthday. That that you became... That would be a great birthday present for me for you to say that prayer. So if you've said it, if you want to pray it right now as we go to prayer, then come and tell me and make my birthday complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are a God of love that is willing to enter into our history, walk with us, struggle with us, suffer with us, and go to the ends of suffering by giving yourself up on that cross. I I think we get too rote with this, Lord Jesus. I love, I love what we do here because it is so important. I get to share this on Sunday mornings. If, If anywhere I get to share it, I get to share it here at least. And I pray that you would create opportunities for every single one of us to share this across the board with all the people that we know at any time. I just pray that you would bring divine moments to every single one of us that we would walk with you and share this story with others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We are going to pass the tithe boxes.